0: That's the sound of afternoon coffee. Who's
1: with me? Oh, there you go. Afternoon coffee is the best thing ever. I really hope that sound made it through the podcast. Gives me that push.
0: huh? Oh, it made it. Okay. Uh, Hey, it's Doable Discipleship. It's your friend Jason over there. Thanks. (laughs) Jason's friend Doug over here (laughs) sitting in my seat. And uh, without any ado, let's just get right into this thing. Right?
1: You got your afternoon coffee. We're good to go.
0: Yeah, I got a little pep in my step. We're continuing a series that we started a couple weeks ago on the attributes of God. And so we're going through a few different categories of attributes. The first one is the greatness of God. You should remember that from a couple weeks ago. Check that out if you missed it. Um, then we talked last week about the goodness of God. So God is not only great in the sense of big, extensive, uh, what did I say, The sort of the quantitative aspects of, of yes, God. Yes, you did. But he's also good, so the qualitative aspects of God and his character and his attributes. We talked last week about um, his holiness and his righteousness and justice and love. Just a few of the great, great attributes that that really make God, God. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the personality of God. So answering the question, is God a person? We'll be back to do that after this little fun tune. We'll see you in just one second.
1: We're back, Um, and so we're starting with the topic, Doug is looking at me in this weird way because he's rolling up his sleeves now. Why does it make you feel weird that I make direct eye contact while rolling up my sleeves? I don't know. Are you going to fight you or something? Uh, No, that's not what I thought, but anyway. um, Okay, so we're starting with the question, as Doug alluded to, is God a person? Well, I got uh, a, a quick answer for you. yes (laughs) yes <laughs>
0: oh you could have dragged it out a little bit <laughs> let us Build the
1: excitement a little bit god is a person um but god is not a human being i think that's important is yeah. god is not a human being but he is a personal being so yeah. what does that fully mean well it means uh a god is self-aware so he's a rational being um I have read somewhere that that we can reason because God is reasonable. Mm. God is a reasonable, rational being. He is self-aware. Uh, he knows that he is God, as he said, "I am." Is yeah. uh, he named himself in the Old Testament? "I am." Yep. Um, and um, B, he possesses an intellect, and emotions, and a will. So God has emotions. God has has a will, which we've talked about, in the in the last episode and uh, in the first episode with the omnis, we talked about God has a will, God has emotions, God has an intellect, and and the big thing is all of this all, uh, because God is personal like this. We are personal like that. Yeah, we have emotions because God has emotions. We have you know we have intellect because God has intellect. Yeah. Um. So I think the, uh, it's important to th- if we think of God. In those terms with but but knowing that God is spirit, um it's important, you know, to tie all those together as we think about the person of God. Yeah. Um it's another one of those situations where like common English usage has killed us because yeah,
0: yeah, God is a person, but that does not mean human being. Those are two different things. So it doesn't mean flesh and bone. Yeah, he's a personal being. Yeah. He exhibits all the same all the traits that distinguish a someone as a someone and not a something, but he's spirit. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, <laughs> so he's yeah yeah no <laughs> no
1: nope, not going to go down the rabbit trail. <laughs> I'm it's, resisting. It's so easy to to start to try to build implications into this. Like oh well, that must mean that God is this, and it's not. It's never. It's not safe to dive down that route because then mm-hmm. you don't want to um, make God into something he's not. So instead of focusing on what he's not, we focus on what we know he is from Scripture. So that's why we say he is personal, he is is self-aware and rational, and and he emotional, intellect, will, person. Anyway. I think (laughs) you got it all. (laughs) Yeah, we hit those points home. All right. um, So the next thing is God is both personal and relational. This means that he not only exists in a personal way, everything we just laid out, but he also interacts with and relates to other persons. Yeah. Um, like yeah. I, uh, I, one that dawned on me earlier
0: is that God is not just personal, he's interpersonal. See, I had right? forgotten that, See? so thank, I'm you, not for, let that one thank die. you for I reminding think, that. Yeah. So God, like you said, he is a person in, in the sense of himself, his own being, but he also uh, has and seeks meaningful relationships with other persons who are outside himself,
1: and we can see that uh, a, a example in multiple ways in Scripture, where God is relating and is relational to His creation to people. But yeah. we also also see that played out in the Godhead in the Trinity. God is relational. Hey, in don't the Trinity. Hey, hey, get so off my lawn. I'm pal. tying into. I'm segueing <laughs> okay. into. So let's talk a little <laughs> bit about the Trinity. I'll pretend that you didn't, uh, old man. <laughs> Gran Torino, me right now, <laughs> and uh... oh yes, go, my man. Yes,
0: uh, but but going back to what you said, you talked about how in the Bible we see all these examples of God being relational, and relating to people. In in fact, the Bible itself, the very existence of the Bible, yes, is an example of God relating to us. The Bible is this com- is this outstretched hand or this this this. Piece of communication from God to us, Mm -hmm. Um, so even in that, we're seeing God relating to us in a meaningful way through His through His recorded Word.
1: Great point.
0: Yeah. So God's relational nature—we've established that God is relational, um, God is personal—and we can see that aspect of God's nature shown in three big areas. The first one we'll talk about is what uh, Jason was so subtly alluding to a a moment uh, ago—that we see it in the Trinity. Uh, Trinity is probably a word you're familiar with. You you. Um, may have a great understanding of the Trinity. For some of you, it may be completely new. For some of you, you're thinking, "Isn't that Neo's girlfriend from the Matrix series?" Uh, okay. um, if that's you, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. We're talking about the Trinity. We're talking about the the nature of God's existence. That God, while He is one being or one God, so we don't believe in multiple gods, not at all. God is one being who exists. In three persons, or who is expressed in three persons—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—these are three persons of God um, that are all revealed clearly in the Scripture, but they are all unified in a single being. So, uh, and this is one of those. This is one of those points where your theological language is really important because it's easy to like one wrong word here, and you're actually misrepresenting who God is. So, um, you know, God is not three gods in one. Um, he's not a, he's not one creature who exists in because creature implies created, but God wasn't created. So when you talk about the Trinity, you have to be like real precise with your language because, mm-hmm. you know, one little tweak can mean the difference between the truth about God and not the truth about God. That word is called heresy. And we won't always <laughs> try to stay away from that wherever we can. Oh no, avert. <laughs> anyway, so God is. A, is one being a unified being who exists in three persons? Uh, the The word Trinity just comes from basically the root words "tri," meaning three, and "unity," meaning combined or or unified. So God is three in one, very very literally, uh, and and that's a total brain bender. I get it. Like this is one of those things where it's like, oh, you know, like the human mind just can't comprehend. And there's truth to that. Three in one is a very hard thing to because it's not three divided into three. It's not one. Divided into, it's not like a pie chart where it's like a third of God is Father, third is Son, third is Holy Spirit. It's not like that. It's, it's, they are co-equal. They all exist at the same time as the unified and complete God. So you can't say that God is one divided by three. God is one and three in in simultaneous but in different senses.
1: Yeah, there's lots of different sorts of pictures that people may try to put to the Trinity and they're all janky. They're all fall short because you there's no way to put a, an earthly picture to that which is divine. Well, you cannot
0: use you cannot use any physical representation. You you can't rely on any physical representation yeah. to show something of this spiritual nature because in in the physical realm it's impossible to be three in one. Yeah. Um you know, you can only have something divided into into multiple parts. But I think so. There's like the example of like the egg. You got the the you know the yolk, the, the white, the shell, ice the cream. yeah, the ice cream, the water can exist in in multiple states: solid, a, liquid, and a shamrock. <laughs> yeah, all these different things. Um, they're all they all fall short, as we said. Um, I think a, I think a better example that I like to use, and I don't think that it's I don't think it necessarily gets at the the full reach of the Trinity or the full like magnitude of what that doctrine is. But I think, I, I kind of bring it home a little bit, and I think of just, what, what is human existence? I mean, we human beings exist in multiple levels. We know that God's made us to be spiritual creatures, right? So, we have a, we interface with God on the spiritual level, but he's also made us to be physical creatures and intellectual creatures. So, there are, when we look at ourselves, we can see ourselves, you know, even Jesus said, you know, our your heart, soul, and strength, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, we see that there are multiple... Um, aspects of human existence, and who among us can look at ourselves and draw the line between where one part of our existence ends and the other begins? like who can draw the line between body and mind and between mind and spirit? so if we think in those terms, it kind of to me it just gets a little bit less foreign sure where it 's like the idea of being a multifaceted creature um, at least at our at our limited diminished level because we 're created and not not the creator. Um, I think we can start to kind of get that, and again, remembering God exists um, in, a, in in a, on a plane that f- that is not influenced by time or space or matter or energy. And when you start, when you remove space from the equation, so you remove point A and point B from the equation, and you remove time, and you remove matter, and you remove energy. Um, it actually starts getting kind of easy to say three and one because what meaningful distinction can you even make between yeah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at that point? You can't, because normally we would think like, well, there's a Holy Spirit on the left, <laughs> you know, Son on the right, but there's no God space. Father in the middle. But if you forget all that, and so you're smuggling in all these spatial terms, you forget all that. Um, it gets real. It gets yeah. real simple. So yeah, it's it's tough. Anyway, I'm making this episode long, and we're only getting started. I'm sorry. Uh, so anyway, this means that God created. God did not. God didn't make angels or animals or humans or any other creature because he was lonely. He did not create out of loneliness. Uh, And this is kind of the point we're getting at, that God exists in a changeless state within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He exists in a changeless state of pure, harmonious, loving, and joyful relationship, all within himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in perfect harmony, in perfect contentment and union all the time. So, there wasn't uh, the, we can throw in the word self, uh, self-sufficient self here, that God didn't need anything else to complete himself. He's complete in and of himself. So the question I think then arises, and it's a very fair question, is why did God create in the first place? Why did God make creatures other than himself? And um, to sum that up, I think the, 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 the best way I think that I can think of, and you may have a better idea, but it seems that God made creatures who were distinct from himself on purpose in order to extend his love, and bestow his goodness, and invite others into that flourishing friendship that he enjoyed. So, it wasn't that God was trying to fill a need within himself. It was that God has an infinite abundance of all these good things, and he, because he's a good and loving God, decided that he wanted to share that goodness and, and sort of pour or lavish that goodness onto other creatures, so he made other creatures specifically to do good unto them and to love them and to care for them uh, it's a beautiful picture of God's creation, so God mm. wasn't sitting there from all eternity bored um you know throwing a waiting. throwing a ball against the wall you know <laughs> waiting for some creation to happen. no remember God is changeless time is irrelevant to him um yeah. it was something that God did creation flowed out of God's goodness, uh, not because of there was some need that he was meeting for himself. Yes. Does that make sense? I hope that does. I know that's a little bit wordy. But the point that I'm making here when we're talking about how the Trinity shows God's relational nature is that at the very core of his being, down to the eternal existence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the core of God's being is relational. Mm -hmm. that's,
1: That's a big one. That is a big one. And it takes us into how we can see that relational nature in creation play yeah. out, right? Because what we see is God made a world and he filled it with creatures that are not only distinct from him, but distinct from each other as well. So it's not just a world of all the same. It's yeah. not just a world of clones or a world or a world of, you know, just the same thing over and over and over again, right? Is Or he... even, I mean, even
0: distinct in the sense that there's a you and there's a me, you know? Yeah. Like God created a realm... In which you could be you and I could be me, and we could be different, and in a way, this like spatial realm helps us do that, you know yeah, because just like in the Godhead, if there was no if there was no physical divide between you and me that separated our being, yes, it's, it's, then it's, what yes. would you even how, what could you possibly mean by saying there's you and then there's me, there's Jason and then there's Doug, how could you make a distinction between the two? So it's almost like God created a place for us to be different.
1: Exactly. And I, this is
0: getting, <laughs> whoa. Never drink coffee during an episode oh, again. Yeah, Gets my this brain will be on an overdrive. One. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think <laughs> there's two points that we're getting at, and then we'll kind of round this in creation point home. So I want to hit these first. Yeah. God created a shared environment in which we can recognize, communicate with, and even influence one another. Yeah. And, and in creation, it seems to have been deliberately designed to promote. Relationships. So, the kind of the big idea here is when we look at creation, is we look at how things work together, yeah. about how things fit together and piece together and work together and are meant to be. In relationship with each other, yeah. and that's not only just in in person to person but it's also like in people to nature it's with people sure. to creature you know it's, it's 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 you can see how things work when there is relationship and harmony yeah. amongst these things, and when there is not, you can see that there is discord often that yeah. ensues um there's a there's like an interconnectedness to his creation, wouldn't you say I would say. <laughs> I think, that's, <laughs> I, I think that's that's a word for what I was just talking about—an interconnectedness. Yes. Yeah, uh, your okay. coffee brain. Okay, <laughs> and um, yes. So, so when you look at all of creation, he he made it all, and he knew when he was making creation that that it was with the intent that things would work together. You know, that would um, be with each other. God could have created the universe and then made 50 people
0: and put each of those 50 people on a different planet That's on a, in a different just galaxy. kind of example, yeah. Yeah, I mean even down to like the f- that simple fact like if God didn't care about relationships between himself and his created things and between his created things, he could have easily designed a universe in which none of that ever happened cuz he didn't care for it to happen. But instead he stuck us on one planet.
1: I mean, he says it pretty clear in Genesis. It's not good yeah. for man to be alone. <laughs> wow, pretty, pretty clear. You did it, man. Well, That's a good one. Kind of goes into the next section. It so. does.
0: All right, my turn. Uh, so the third way that we see God's relational nature playing out, or the way that is shown, is quick recap through the Trinity. So in God Himself. Secondly, in creation, in the grand scale, like He made a universe that seems to promote. Relationship, uh, and thirdly, in us, in our very, in our very being. So one of the most, one of the most basic human longings that each of us has is this desire to belong. Uh, we desire, maybe more than anything else, to be understood by others and to be loved and accepted by them. So we see that relationship is just as it's fundamental to God's own existence. It's fundamental to ours as well, um, and it seems to be a v- very much a universal need that's shared by all human beings throughout all time. Um, even even babies, you know, there's this, there's the clear um, reality when a, when a baby is born, the first thing, like Pastor Rick always says, the first thing a baby needs is a family. And that babies don't just crave milk. Um, they don't just need shelter. They need touch from human beings. I mean, that's why, like, one of the most... One of the most special things that I can remember um, when, when our kids were born was, were the hours of skin to skin contact between mother and baby after birth and how that, just that contact with another human being is so important for a newly born person. And we find that, even at the very youngest stage of life, we crave to be in close contact with other people. Even at that simple biological level, it's just built into everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's why human beings naturally congregate. We don't just fan out and try to get as far from everybody else as we can, although there are a few hermits in the world, um, and that represents a whole bunch of other issues. But, but we long for connection one way or another. Um, so anyway, it's a, it's a universal human longing. And we were clearly made to be grounded in loving relationships with each other and with God.
1: Yeah, and we should say that there's one a very early on episode that we did with Steve Gladen where we talked about relationships. That's back in the 1080p days before
0: we that graduated was, to 4K, baby.
1: Yeah, for those of you who know those numbers, that meant something to you. But otherwise, <laughs> who doesn't I I wouldn't have if we weren't doing this. Okay, podcast. grandma. Any, okay, but anyway, so you can go ahead and listen to uh, um. I listen to the purpose, if we talk about like the five purposes, um, it, it is the purpose of fellowship. Yeah. And Steve Gladen uh, joined Doug and Rob to talk about that. Yeah. Um, all right. So what this brings us into is God's, God's relational nature means that my deepest longing, longings can be fulfilled through him and in his family. Yeah. I'm going to read this quote from Tim Keller. Um, not 100% sure where it's from. <laughs> But it's from Tim Keller. I'll try to remember to to credit the book in the show notes. But That'd It's from good.
0: Tim Keller. Timothy Keller is what's on his book. So if you go looking for him, that'll yeah. help you find it.
1: It says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. And To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It is... Liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Yeah. So, jeez, this thing is squeaky. <laughs> having some issues there. Um. So it goes back to what Doug was saying about this idea of being known. Yeah. And it's it's something it's it, it's kind of innately built into us is this need for being known, this need for being acknowledged, for recognized. Yeah. Um, And that can only truly, meaningfully come in relationships, because it's only in relationships with other people that we can bear each other's burdens. It's only in relationships with other people that we can um, uh, hold each other accountable, that we can... A, a grow together that we can encourage one another. All those one another's we talked about, there's yeah. you know the fifty seven one another's or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that comes because God is relational. Right. It's only that we're called to live out these one another's because God is really is yeah. relational. You're getting at the whole
0: nature of the fault too that we talked about, you know, ages ago, but the fall? The fall. Oh. I thought you said the fault. No fault, San Andreas. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> no, uh, the fall. Um, because after the fall, what did human beings do? They hid. They yeah. hid themselves. So we actually close ourselves off to meaningful friendship and meaningful contact, both with God and with others, because we feel this need to present a version of ourselves to others that may not always be true. Mm-hmm. Um, so just as Adam and Eve covered themselves and hid in the bushes when they sinned, so we do. With each other and with God, all the time, we try to hide our flaws. We try to, uh, we try to fix our flaws so that we can be presentable to others. But I think Keller's quote is so powerful because it it kind of shows every side of the coin that the ultimate. The ultimate love is when we are fully known, God knows everything about us, and yet fully loved in spite of everything that he knows about us, and how freeing and wonderful that is, and how that's like the ultimate basis for any relationship. Yeah,
1: and at the end of the day, what sin is, is going against our relationship with God. Yeah. Violating so the relationship. It's really all about right. that relationship, yeah. Yes.
0: Great. All right, next up, uh, God's relational nature also means that I'm meant to extend God's love to others. Um, we Christians are given a charge to share the good news with with other people that don't know Him yet, people who are still out there living a life of separation from God, and all the um, the terrible results of that, all the lostness and brokenness that comes from that, uh, and it's our job to be ambassadors for Christ. Acts 20.24 says this, "'But my life is worth nothing.'" To me, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and grace. Uh, this is a, 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 this is like a powerful, like encapsulated verse that just sort of puts it so plainly. Like your life is worth nothing if it's not used to accomplish the goals that God has set or the purposes that God has placed upon our lives. And so, it's not enough for us to just look in, inwardly or look at our own relationship with God and be like, isn't this great? Um, Our job is also to take that sense of wonder and that sense of enjoyment in Christ and uh, show that and explain that to others who are living without it day, day by day. And for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, it's easy to forget that calling because our life with Christ feels just so... It just feels so fundamental to us that we sometimes forget the wonder of this relationship, and it's easy to, you know, forget to share it with people who are in desperate need of it.
1: It's kind of hard to live out the second part of the Great Commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself when... Uh, when or like when you, any part of the Great Commission. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. when you don't uh, care to relate to other people. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like you want to do kindly to others, but, you know... What about meeting like the biggest need that exists for any human being, you know? Like it's one thing to, you know, give a man a cup of cold water, but like to forget that um just like all men, that man's going to die someday and and you want him to be with Christ in eternity.
1: And there's so many great stories um in the New Testament when Jesus was was healing people or when people would come up and express a need, when he would look them in the eye. Yeah. And then, you know, ask them what they want or, or or meet their um need that was immediate. But the bigger need that he was really um meeting was that need of being known that I'm yeah. looking at you, I see you, I acknowledge you. Like Yeah. You're right. So And the spiritual need.
0: It's like, hey, your legs are fixed. Also your sins are forgiven. <laughs> and that's actually the bigger deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Run and tell that. <laughs>
1: The <laughs> new, <laughs> new said, D- don't Jones tell anybody translation. about that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, All right. Take us into that last one.
1: The last part here God's relational nature means that I can look forward to an eternity of perfect relationship with God and my fellow believers. Guys, we've talked about this, and I think I've said it almost this exact way before. We can't even fathom. What heaven's gonna be like, truly, because it's of the because it's sheer awesomeness. I think that's what the Bible says. <laughs> yeah. Due to the sheer awesomeness of heaven, you, can, um, you cannot comprehend. Yeah, but what we're but what we're told is there will be perfect relationship yeah. with God because there's no sin, so there's no more of a violation of that relationship. We've been perfectly justified. Yeah. Um. So we have that perfect relationship with God. And perfect relationship with my fellow believers that will be in heaven. Yeah. So I don't know what that fully looks like. Maybe there's a lot of bocce ball. I don't know. <laughs> but I I love bocce. <laughs> I Maybe love bocce ultimate ball. frisbee. <laughs> but everybody will be happy if they win or lose. Cause <laughs> anyway, I don't know.
0: Okay. Um, this is a lot of very uh, funky speculation. The
1: point out. that we're getting at is that is that um, is we won't have to worry about strife in relationship anymore. Right. You won't have to worry about anxiety. You won't have to worry about, you know, fears because there's no more sin. You'll have perfect relationships perfect among relationship. perfect people with yeah. a perfect God. Yeah. Just imagine that. Yeah. I if can't. can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some doable steps as we wrap up. Doable steps. Great. So, these past three weeks, what we've been talking about are attributes of God. We talked about God's greatness, his goodness, and his personal nature um personalocity personalocity that's a mouthful (laughs) okay so a a good action step a doable step is if you want to go dive even deeper into uh what we've been talking about there's some great sessions from foundations that talked about this particularly in in the sessions on god in god part one and god part two Um, So we will link below um, the videos of those sessions of foundations so you can watch those, or you can look at taking foundations at a campus near you in the near future. Very good.
0: You'll find that very enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, Lastly, we just talked a moment ago about how we're meant to extend God's love to other people. Uh, So here's what we want you to do. You've got people in your life that don't know Jesus yet. And if you're not in close relationship with them, you may have their neighbors, they are coworkers, their family members, whatever. You've got people in your sphere of influence that don't know Jesus yet, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got a responsibility to share him with them. A great, and let's be honest, really easy way that you can do that is to invite a friend to an Easter service at Saddleback. So if you attend a Saddleback campus anywhere here in Southern California or around the world, or if you don't attend Saddleback Church and you're not anywhere near a Saddleback Church campus, find a good Bible that teaching... It literally
1: covers every person.
0: Yeah, I'm not leaving any of you out. <laughs> you, don't get, you don't get no excuse on this. Uh, so wherever you are, find a Saddleback Church or a solid Bible teaching church that you can bring a friend to for Easter. Saddleback Church, we've got... Grips of services, and we'll link to the Easter website in the show notes of this episode, so you can go and find out all the details on those. But we'll have probably in the hundreds this year of services happening at total, all of our yeah. campuses in total. Uh, so so you can start find, Thursday the twenty ninth. They start Thursday and they go 28th, all the way through Sunday. Uh, so there's 29th. lots of options. There's just there's it's just it, you can't miss it. It's Easter at Saddleback. Don't miss this thing. Um, so find a friend, invite them. Just say, hey. I know you may not be totally into the church thing, but I think you'd be really encouraged if you just came and and listened to this great message on Easter weekend at my church. Just come and check it out. You can give them just a very low, low low-pressure invitation, but it's just a simple thing that you can do. And really, then Saddleback Church is doing all the work for you. All you gotta do is invite the friend, meet up with them, have some coffee, walk into the worship center, and let the worship team and Pastor Rick take it away. It's like the easiest thing. It's not hard. It's so easy. You, You can't get off the hook. All right. Good job. So, bring a friend to Easter. Go watch those uh, those uh, Foundations videos, God's Part 1 and 2. God, Part 1 and yeah. 2. I used a plural because of the 1 and 2, but let's not imply multiple gods. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the heresy thing from... Earth? Yeah. Uh, we stay away from that. Anyway, go check those out. Uh, we love you. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs> if you're a podcast listener and you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. And if you're thinking, hey, listening's great, but is there a way I can watch these episodes? Yeah, there is. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for video versions of these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you're already watching us on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast, so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week.